There's like a 50% chance this episode never reaches human ears. <laughs> it's, it's reaching our ears from our own mouths. So take yeah. that. Well, I don't, this isn't the episode because you'll edit out all my brilliance. Uh, unfortunately, I've left more than I had hoped in on more than <laughs> one occasion. So, yeah. yeah. Sometimes I make sure you can't get it out. <laughs> Which is why I'm glad we have these new recordings on our Hannibal Lecter <laughs> retrospective. Hello. Thank you for coming back and listening to us after two episodes of not so great recording and a comeuppance of better recording with better equipment because that's what we do here we're here to improve and do better much like the Hannibal Lecter series itself because that hits some rough spots but Matt you are my co-host much like the Hannibal Lecter series this show started out fucking great (laughs) the first time I ever did this show was like amazing and ever since then, it's been a downhill fall into shit and mediocrity. But now we're starting a new golden age. Would you say we're leaving the Red Dragon era or the Hannibal Rising era? Yes. Let me tell you guys something. So we're here to talk about the Hannibal TV show. Do you want to tell people about the Hannibal TV show, Diego? I do want to tell people about the Hannibal TV show. Created by Brian Fuller, or at least brought to television by Brian Fuller. If you don't know Brian Fuller, he created Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me, the first season of American Gods. Just the first one. I haven't seen it. He's the... (laughs) He's the guy you keep seeing get fired from great shows. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and Star Trek Disco. Yeah. But he's talented. Wasn't that great? I actually haven't seen that either. Just don't. I like Star Trek, though, and it came out on my birthday. Yeah, but you ever want to... If you want to watch Star Trek that, like, looks like Star Trek, but in no way feels like Star Trek, then you might like Discovery. Because there's not a single moment in that show that felt like Star Trek. That's not true. There was a couple moments. Okay. They were they were few and far between. And it was mostly just miserable. And I'm not talking about the subject matter. I'm just talking about, like, television. You know it was never miserable? If you're going to say Hannibal, you're wrong. This is a pretty miserable show. Well, I mean, like, to, to critically, like, it, it was it was well put together. It's it's pretty dour when you look at it, but I mean, like, as, as, a, as a work of art, it is far and above beyond, like, any other television show. There's, there's probably some good arguments for a handful of other shows, but uh, Hannibal is kind of, it, it's up there. It kind of reigns supreme. It's in a class of its own. Yeah, it really is. I mean, because I just saw a family member of mine started watching uh, Dexter, the other serial killer show, from like 10 years ago. And maybe I shouldn't judge, you know, 
the show because it is older. Much like how I wouldn't really compare The Sopranos to Breaking Bad. But fuck, is Dexter just not good? I think you know. I think there's something like trashy about it that's really entertaining in like really broad strokes. It, it, but if I was willing to put more effort into it, I would be able to explain how that show is like super conservative at its heart. And this is a more like Hannibal is a more liberal leaning show, which is entirely why it appeals to me. Uh, I can explain that with one simple answer. That show shares producers with the hit show 24. So oh, if you're wondering about the conservative angle, another show I enjoy in broad strokes, but if you bring up the politics about it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's awful. You know, torture's all right if there's a ticking bomb. <laughs> you know, like two nuclear weapons go off in Southern California in that show? Yeah, that wouldn't drastically alter everything about society. <laughs> Yeah, that makes. I want to. I, I tried watching Twenty Four, but I really want to do it where we. I just watch like an entire season and try and stay up through it, like actually Twenty Four it. That would be fun as shit. Mm-hmm. Because that, I'll, we'll not stay too long on that, and I'll probably even cut this. But like the action in that show is pretty dang good for television. It's everything else where you're like, oh, this is kind of uncomfortable. We're making. Yeah, I think I think the politics would definitely lose me, especially now. Oh yeah, because you can draw a very uh, a very straight line from uh, post nine eleven rah rah and paranoia to uh, Trump backing out of the Iran deal. So let's just talk about uh, how my process in getting ready for doing this episode, which is that I rewatched the show Hannibal. I also watched uh, my friend Shannon's video about Hannibal tv show because uh shannon tends to have a really good perspective on things and uh i write notes and i try and like i I write down things i know i will forget because i know what stuff doesn't stick in my mind very well and i also write down like questions i want to explore on this episode i try to structure it better than the last time we did a tv show on here (laughs) and i had it pretty well organized and there's some pretty good notes pretty extensive and then for some reason, I totally blanked and I threw all them out the other day. How does that make you feel? Angry. <laughs> I was doing some spring cleaning and I thought I was just like, I thought I was just throwing out like the old notes for the episodes we've already done. I was like, ah, fuck it, I don't need them. And you can barely read them anyway. And for some reason, I didn't think to like, you know, separate the f- notes I would be needing. <laughs> so I've kind of fucked myself on doing at least the first season of the show because I didn't realize it until this morning that they had lost my notes. So uh, with that being said, I'm pretty sure whoever murdered John Benet Ramsey was in the house that <laughs> night, one of the three family members. <laughs> Let's see, at the time of this recording, it took us less than <laughs> 10 minutes. For me to try and derail it. Yeah, I mean, that's an improvement, so... Let's see if we can keep that up for this episode. Um, On a side... I could get sued for... I could get sued for saying this, but Burke likely did it. (laughs) On a side note, uh, I will also go to vouch for 
our friend Shannon, Strucci Movies, follow follow her work because she does some really great stuff. And uh, her Hannibal episode and Cult of Chucky episode I will link down below because those are intrinsically linked by Don Mancini, creator of the Child's Play series and a big part of the Hannibal production. Yeah, Curse of Chucky is just like a whole like movie about how sad he is that Hannibal isn't on the air anymore. And it's incredible. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Curse of Chucky was so good. Cult. Cult of Chucky. Cult of Chucky. Sorry, there's... I, you know what? They kind of... The titles blur, but all those movies are very distinct, which is very rare in that genre. Yeah, shout out to Don Mancini, because I, I just... I, I took Shannon's advice and just did a blind watch of it, and I fell in love. It's maybe not a great movie, but it's a great time, and that's really all I it's, needed. It's perfect in the way Pee-wee's Big Adventure is perfect. You know what I'm saying? Oddly enough, yes. Even though this one has uh, the, the know, best Pee-wee's decapitation bike. I've ever seen in a direct-to-video movie. Yes. You know, Pee-wee's bike is in Bride of Chucky. Is it? I, I don't remember I Bride it, of Chucky. In the opening scene, they're, like, going through an evidence locker and, you know, get the the body of the Chucky doll. And I believe Pee-wee's bike is in one of the evidence lockers. And it's not, like, a subtle background gag. It's, like, it's very clearly Pee-wee's bike. <laughs> uh, well, we're off track now, so let's try to bring it back. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Um, I can't vouch for Shannon because I don't know exactly where she stands on the John Benet Ramsey killings. But there's, like, that suicide... I mean, that kidnapping note is just so long. It's ridiculous. Like, no kidnapper would write a note that long. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's wind the clock back a little bit. Let's go back <laughs> to, to when uh, uh, Hannibal was first going into production. They were announcing that they were doing a Hannibal prequel television series. Right around this time, Bates Motel had just started coming up, too. And these shows were basically premiering alongside each other. I forget if there's, like, a year Did difference they- or whatever. Did they premiere at the same time? Around the, the same year or so, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I'm fucking that up. It's not too... They're not too distant from each other. Um, I've never seen Bates Motel. I have not either, because I thought, like, a, a prequel to Psycho, like, come, they already ran that series into the ground. But apparently the sequels are actually good now. I, I don't Psych- know. Psycho 2 is really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, uh, what, what is that? Not revision. What the fuck? Re- re- reconsideration of the sequels recontextualization so many versions of that word uh but that i know that has a big fan base now too so i'm interested in watching them but uh anyways i wasn't interested in prequel versions of these characters i thought why this is just cheap and then brian Mm. fuller came on board and i was like who is this because i didn't know who it was at the time (laughs) so uh i saw a little snippet from the tv trailers and i was like hey that looks weird what is that and then it was like hannibal and i was like what the fuck so i watched the first episode (laughs) And it blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it still blows my mind that this aired on not cable television, public television. Network. Like, how? NBC. How? I don't know. It's like, but this is like Exhibit A for all the fuckers out there who are like, censorship is so bad today. Like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Do you know what's on television <laughs> right now? Like, the first scene uh, in, this, in this entire series is uh, Will Graham 
flashing back through a murder sequence in all its brutal, disgusting glory. Uh, and just blood splattering on walls that... Like, that reminded me of Dexter because that was my only, like, reference point at the time of watching it. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, this is... It's, it's, it's only 10 p.m. Children are still awake around this time. What? This is... This is a lot. You, you didn't see mm-hmm. stuff like that on on television and uh even now you still really don't <laughs> yeah you don't I, I you know what there's got to be something out there right now that's trying to like ape hannibal and just not doing it well i don't know what it is but there's got to be something um when i watched it because um, i got to it through people on tumblr not shutting up about it that was probably me at my- some point so I got to this because of my growing frustration with the show Sherlock, which I enjoyed, and then uh, came up, became kind of apparent that uh, people behind it did not realize it was as ridiculous as I did. <laughs> I thought the whole point of that show was how ridiculous it was, and then that kind of ended up not being the case. Uh, and then this, you know, it kind of reminded me of like, Sherlock, and it eventually turns into, like, Argento. <laughs> so, it's like Sherlock meets Suspirio on some level. Yeah, uh, the, the influences are very broad. Uh, it's, yeah, uh-huh. it's Argento, it's Lynch, it's fucking Baroque, it, it, mm. it's, it's so many things, and yet all forms into one cohesive trippy ass narrative that it, it's honestly still unbelievable that this came together on on television not just for well, the violence kind of brilliant, but everything it, let's just say though let's just talk about how brilliant it is that this is the direction they took the show because they really could have just done like standard police procedural like like red dragon tried to be the movie and or they could have just entirely tried to ape the the mixture of like CSI and gothic horror that is like Silence of the Lambs, which which would have been you know at this point that sort of genre thing is done like now that's all over television. I mean, how many seasons of Criminal Minds are we into? I think it's been on as long as Supernatural, so like fifteen thousand years. Yeah, like, and it's just not that sort of show is not anything special these days. So it's a brilliant move to just take it to its logical extreme and just turn it into like a weird art horror film <laughs> that's also like it kind of keeps the trash but knows how to like elevate it and and that's what's great about it yeah and not in the 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 way everyone uses elevated horror nowadays where they just mean make it more serious because this this oh fuck i just realized i accidentally used that no i term. mean like i think but that's just so fuck that. It's, fuck it's, me for saying <laughs> it's just the I'm way fucking... it's used. I think that if you actually know what you're talking about, you could kind of get away with saying something like that, you know. But so many people are just like, "Oh, we're gonna make, we're gonna elevate the superhero genre. We're gonna elevate the romantic comedies or whatever the fuck." Like it sounds ridiculous. But uh, mm-hmm. here they, you're right. They're very trashy at times, but then also like psychologically haunting and makes you feel like your brain's spinning inside your skull yes there are are times like i don't get 
that way very much anymore where like I get squeamish at movies or like feel like I have to turn away and this this is a sh- this is a TV show <laughs> that could really get to me at times yeah, that would just be really extreme and uh, I really respect it for that yeah. also uh, I guess we'll talk spoilers in this on all these two because we're gonna be doing episodes for each respective season of this um there's a yes, and if you're if you haven't seen the TV show and if you're for some reason listening to this for my hilarious banter, <laughs> go fuck yourself. Go watch the show. <laughs> uh, yeah, because spoilers are open season now, and there's a yeah. totem pole made of human corpses, which was uh, fantastically produced. That was something. That was yeah. That that uh, episode's probably the low point of the series, and it's still great, but. It's got Lance Henriksen, and he somehow made a totem pole of human bodies, so. You know, this is one of those shows, when a show really works for me, and this is entirely subjective, you can get to what they call, like, low points or filler episodes, and I just, I they don't bother me in any way. Because I just like the show that much. Well, it's, it's very different for and... something like this as opposed to, like, Game of Thrones, which swings, like, on the entire spectrum of quality. For good and bad. Hannibal yeah. is consistently great because they're constantly exploring this whole aesthetic and the ideas mm-hmm. that they've launched from the get-go, basically. You know, it's always about the same stuff. It doesn't lose sight of itself at any point. Yeah, it really doesn't. Um, it, it evolves what it's going for at times, but uh, it never loses sight as to what it is. Which is a weekly television show on NBC. Yeah, and back to your point about it being like avoiding the procedural stuff. The second episode f- ends the physical confrontation almost the same exact way as the first episode, just in a different setting. And I thought, oh no, they're just they're just gonna keep going back to this. Ah, whatever. It looks pretty, anyways. And then like <laughs> the next episode is something totally fucking like bizarre and different, and like, oh, all right, we're back in. And then every episode after that is just consistently different and bizarre in its own unique ways. And it's, yeah, this season, yeah. the, the the first season is much more episodic than I think the later seasons are, where we will get like a, a killer of the week every now and then. Um, but it's consistently interesting, and it's also we're going through kind of Will Graham's slow decline. <laughs> As we go deeper and deeper into all these different killers' minds. And meanwhile, with the deadliest killer um, just being in the same room as him, and no one knows it. So we talk about Hannibal Lecter in this show, the performer, specifically? Uh, yeah. Uh, we can talk about him. Maz Mickelson from Casino Royale. Valhalla Rising, which is a movie I really like. No one brings it up. I'm th- thank you for that. That's a that's a great movie. It's not for everyone, but I, I love it. Not for everyone, um, because uh, I don't know. Everyone saw Drive and they thought this is what he's Wendy Griffin's like, and then none of his other films are like Drive. <laughs> so, uh, but hey, um, Valhalla Rising is a real cool movie, uh, and he's also Mads Mikkelsen is also completely wasted in Rogue One. Yeah, a little bit. Remember when they did that? Yeah. And Doctor Strange. Oh, well, you know, better than 
what's his face from the Dark World? I can never remember uh, the Dark Elf, whatever. Yeah, the Dark yeah. Elf. That was King, Doctor Who. That was the Ninth Doctor. Yeah, yeah that guy. How who's dare like, they? Wants nothing to do. Wants nothing to do with Doctor Who ever again. Um, yeah, that sucks. Yeah. But Maz Mikkelsen, uh, it's okay because he is. I think there's a lot of arguments for him being the new definitive Hannibal Lecter, which I well, I, I mean, mean, he has three seasons of a television show to go off of. So he's kind of got more room to play. He's got three seasons of a show, and it's a completely different Lecter than we've seen for this amount of time. Like, we're seeing Lecter, like, we're seeing the truly free Lecter. We're not seeing, seeing, you know, Lecter briefly in a prologue. We're not seeing, you know, fugitive Lecter. We eventually get to, you know, criminal fugitive Lecter, but not at the beginning. So it's this great new way to see the character. And, I mean, we're, we're not enough removed that Anthony Hopkins has kind of left the public consciousness to, like, you know, we could do a new Lecter. Um, but, again, he's still going up against, like, one of the most iconic film performances of all time. This was, like, when they announced Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker. And it was like, fuck, Nicholson's the definitive Joker. <laughs> And now no one gives a fuck about Nicholson. That's so true. Sorry, Jack. I mean, hey, he did great, but... A bunch of edgy teenagers don't care about that Joker anymore. Uh, but much like the Heath Ledger Joker, I think this interpretation of Lecter is... Uh, the scariest, maybe? Just because of how he fits into the world that he's in. Like, if Anthony Hopkins was out doing the version of Hannibal Lecter that's in Silence of the Lambs, and not the one in subsequent sequels, then I think mm-hmm. that, that would be scary as shit as well. Not like he's a cuddly teddy bear in that movie either, but, like, just the idea that there's this monster hiding in human skin, and, like winding people up like little toys and then just letting them crash into each other to see what happens. I guess that's fucking horrifying. Especially when you get towards, you know, when he's really manipulating Will Graham and you just see like the design of what Lecter is going for. Mostly he's always got something else up his sleeve because he's fucking Hannibal Lecter. But, uh, it's really like, (laughs) it's almost hysterical because it's like, there's no way Lawrence Fishburne would have kept his job <laughs> after what happened. <laughs> but it's great. It's all great. Um, I like it, though. Like What I really like about this show, although I've heard Mickelson, um, Mads Mickelson describe like his version of Lecter as also killing the like terminally rude, as I think Hopkins put it. Um, but Mickelson's... Lecter kind of finds this really great line where he will he can be a normal guy at times and just out of nowhere he can just shut that off and just kill someone. And it, it, it adds to like where like you can you can really like enjoy him, but you but you're constantly reminded that at the end of the day that no, he is a monster. He's not like this great avenging killer. He's not the Robin Hood of serial killers as he's been described. He's still a serial killer. <laughs> And I like that the show never lets you really forget that. 
and yet still makes them endearing. Um, to the point where, like, I'm like, I'm looking for therapist right now, and I'm like, I'd give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> With all I know. <laughs> like, he might help. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's a testament to Brian Fuller that he's able to make, like, the titular character in this series such a, like, what should be a disgusting monster, and he is, you know, you really do warm up to this character. Like, I, I really do, in a weird way, care for Maz Mickelson's interpretation of Hannibal, you know? Mm. Doesn't mean I don't want him locked away forever if he were, like, a real human being, but he's such a fascinating character, and, like, I really like when film and television, they, they take the time to, like, let us follow a kind of despicable person or like, you know, not every protagonist needs to be like a hero, you know? And I, I think this show really pulls that off well because depiction does not mean endorsement, you know, but there, there's also yeah, a fine line between uh, those two as well. So television really needs more complicated main characters like Ray Donovan. <laughs> You mean uh, uh, a man who is forced to make hard decisions and has to cope with the difference between his secret criminal life and his respectable home life? Yeah, how do you keep those two things balanced? I don't know. You should probably take it's, five to seven I, seasons to talk about it, though. I mean, he's like, you know, on one hand, he really cares about his family, but on the other hand, he's he'll fuck people up. Bad people, of course, but... It's... That's basically like every seen... cable television show. Yeah, since The Sopranos, basically. Yeah. And it was like The Sopranos did it. So, fuck off. <laughs> Shout out to Breaking Bad for yeah, being yeah, great. Breaking Bad for being, yeah, possibly the greatest show of all time. Yeah, yeah. Good job, everyone. You want to know what my note on Will Graham is right here? Yeah. It says Will Graham, Hugh Dancy. Twitchy. That's my note. Twitchy and sweaty. That's that's it. That's it. All right, we just talked about Will Graham. <laughs> no, uh, Hugh Dancy is great. Also, uh, a really powerful performance and definitive in its own way. We have... Yeah, completely different than the other two we've seen. A.K.A. the good one and the bad one. <laughs> Um, basically Will Graham is like basically unhinged. I mean, <laughs> there's never an episode where Will Graham looks that all right. <laughs> so he's constantly trying to keep himself in control. I think a good point and... of comparison is like, you take the character from Manhunter or I guess, no, let me repeat the a good point of comparison would be like, if I fucked it up, a good point of comparison would be like, uh, Brian Fuller saw all these really interesting nuggets in all the different interpretations of the Hannibal Lecter series, the good, the bad, the ugly, etc. And he brought all of the stuff he could work with into his series and then just amped it all the way up to 11 and somehow makes it all work. Because in Manhunter, uh, the William, what's his face? Is is Will Graham there, right? What's his? I don't remember his name. What are you saying to me? Who, who's who's the Will Graham in Manhunter? Who's the actor? 
I had it like right before you asked me what it was. <laughs> oh fuck. Um, William Peterson. Yeah. William Peterson played Will Graham in Man. Uh, William Peterson, uh, his performance is always like on the edge of of just going full into insanity, and then here it's like this guy's on a whole other plane of existence already. And he's just, like, trying to find ways to ground himself. Like, he's already gone, almost, you know? Hmm. And it's, like, it's still totally believable, even though... Well, it's almost... It's almost like, just thinking about it right now, it's almost like, you know how serial killers have that mask? I I talked about the mask of sanity on one of these episodes that maybe isn't even out (laughs) because we lost it. So, sorry, audience, I will not give you context. (laughs) Um, but, you know, serial killers put on this mask where they appear perfectly normal, which is what Hannibal does the whole show, and Will is, like, incapable of putting that mask on. So it's almost like watching a, like, a psychopath walking around, leaving himself totally exposed all the time, but Will Graham isn't really a psychopath. Uh, Will Graham in this series is, uh, qualified as on the autism spectrum, I believe, right? They say that in the first episode. I do think they say that in, like, the first episode, and then I don't think they ever revisit that. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't want to do that autism equals magic powers thing. Yeah. So when I first heard that, I was like, oh, no. Don't do not do this. Like, did you ever see that movie The Accountant with Ben Affleck? Yeah. It's not great. <laughs> you know what? I, I actually liked that movie. I thought I but... would. It got weird towards the end. You know what? I just like spy movies. That's the thing. Yeah. I like espionage type films and murder mysteries. So Hannibal's just your so shit. Kind of... Oh yeah, like this is all my trash. Like <laughs> this and superheroes. They're all like I even when they're bad, I'm like, yep. I'm kind of at this point, because Infinity War just came out and everyone's like all these movies really suck and feel bad for liking them. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm like, I know they're not good. <laughs> but I like them. So fuck off. And stop trying to pretend every fucking thing you like is like fucking this divine nonsense. Come down from heaven. Bullshit. Fully formed in its perfectness. fuckers hannibal on the other hand anyway, might actually Hannibal's be perfect a, it's a perfect show yeah. really there's no mistakes ever made <laughs> there's not a huge one that we'll be talking about in the next episode are you hinting that there you actually think there is because i can't think of one um no there's one there was a very controversial thing that happens in season two do you remember that i don't actually he, clearly you were not on tumblr at the time i think that's when i started drifting boy. away from it because i remember season one was where i really got in i was like i was hardcore into tumblr and then after that boy howdy yeah boy howdy tumblr had a field day to the point where i think brian fuller actually responded to some of like what happened oh no i remember now it happens earlier yeah. on in the season right yeah it happens pretty early yeah We'll get into that. I'll say I got a lot to say about that, but we'll get to that. Okay. We'll yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That one. Uh, um, I could get that. It's good. But season one and doesn't. Uh, 
Well, I mean, here's the thing. Actually, I was going to make a point here about, like, you know, I honestly have a feeling that this country... I'm going to get all political. I apologize. Don't. This country went off the path. No. Um, drain the swamp. But uh, I feel like we're so... We do such a bad job at talking about mental illness and serial killers in general that we're really going to look back at, like, a lot of art, like, produced now and for, like, the past, like, since, like, the 70s and 60s when we really started getting more introspective about these things. And I think we're going to go, wow, that's really disgusting. <laughs> like, I, I think we're all, like, writing things and enjoying art that is full of stuff that we're not exploring very well because we just don't know enough about it. Or at least we don't care to know enough about it. And we're like future generations are gonna look back and be like, how did anyone think this was okay? Kind of like just how like how certain gender roles in older films are just like like impossible to defend, and you just kind of have to go, yeah, but I still like King Kong, <laughs> <laughs> even though it's horribly racist. And I feel like we're so. You know, I love this show, but I feel like in 30 years I'm going to have to be defending it to my children. Even to that point, I think I think you're probably right. Uh, but like for for now, like the time we're actually living in too, I, I appreciate Brian Fuller trying to be at least as, as progressive as possible because the, the material in these books and stories is not always... Uh, progressive it, it, it kind of counters well, brian, that at times brian fuller has been pushing the envelope in in terms of progressive i'm not sure values is the right term but he's been he's been pushing for things that are very welcome when i see him pop up in these shows although he does have one misstep which we will again get to uh, but i mean there's diverse casting there's you know gender swapping characters which i always appreciate in adaptation um freddie lounge in this version is a woman uh which is great um jack crawford is a black man and this is the stuff i'm fine with like I, like when people freak the fuck out about like the, even the notion of spider-man not being white anymore i'm like what the fuck is your problem like what if Black Panther was white? Is that is that argument white. still? I remember that argument happening uh, when like Amazing Spider-Man was coming out, even. And I remember that happening kill when, everyone. I, when I was trying to say like Doctor Strange probably should have been an Asian actor, and someone like sent me that message, <laughs> being like, "You wouldn't say that about Black Panther," and I'm like, "You're fucking right, I wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, there's, some, there's there's a lot of differences here. Uh, the creator of Deadpool uh, blocked me because he he was saying like how Iron Fist has always been white in the comics. It wasn't a mistake, and I was mm. like, oh well, maybe it was a mistake to make him white in the comics and not Asian. And then I got a block. So, hey, you you really hit him. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I deserved it. I hit him where he lived. Yeah, that was like uh, the time I got blocked by Nancy Grace because I kept tweeting at her about how awful she was <laughs> you know it's the same thing i was keeping it up for like three days in a row of non-stop tweeting and you sent one tweet so wow same same difference <laughs> um 
Dr. Alan Bloom in this is now Dr. Alana Bloom. Yes. Which is also nice. Yeah. It's great. It's all... I don't... Like, people get so fucking freaked out by this stuff. Like, and I just don't get it. Yeah, like, Brian Fuller always talks about when, when the show is in there, during the interviews, like, he really wanted... He didn't want it to just look like a bunch of white guys. Like, he's a fan of all the previous movies, and I'm sure not actually all of them, but, like, <laughs> I think he's... I'm sure he's very nice yeah. when he's working that close with uh, the De Laurentiis family. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but he was saying, like, you know, it's... It's just not representative of Although, you know what? anything. Fuck what I just said. I do think Brian Fuller is the type of guy that would like all the Hannibal films. <laughs> he would be... He, I think he's that guy who can find, like, the genius in really bad movies. And, like, take the stuff that works. Because that's exactly what he kind of did with this franchise. Yeah, I mean, like, back so. in our other episodes, you, you brought up a good point. The Ridley Scott Hannibal... He pulls directly aesthetically from that in later seasons. Uh, yeah, Manhunter, Silence of the Lambs. Like he, he really just Although, blends them all together. He does not recreate the best moment from Hannibal. Cordell. 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 Um. Stop having cancer subplots on TV shows. <laughs> like, don't do them anymore. Because, like, Jack Crawford's wife on the series has cancer, which is something that is brought up in, I believe, Silence of the Lambs, that is brought up in the book. And I get it. It's from the source material, and it does lead to some very interesting things. Um... There's no, there's no value to exploring cancer on television. I've seen people die from cancer, and I have my own health problems. And there's no art that can ever capture what that feels like. I know every artist out there thinks they'll be the one that can finally crack it. But you can't. Now everyone's praising that game, that dragon cancer, but fuck that. Not I'm not angry at the people who made it. I'm just saying, you're not. You can't do it. It's an impossible task. It's it's, and I'm sure. I mean, maybe Ryan Fuller experienced some, what I've experienced in his life, and it's he probably knows how fucking awful it is. And I I get that desire to be like explore these really real emotions that you had. In this really real experience, and in a way that you think might at least be interesting, which it kind of is, but it's not. When you live with it, it's not fun. And it's not. It's. It never makes you feel better. It's, you know, I guess you're not like solidarity with this fictional character. You're like, oh, this is just awful. This, what's happening on the show is awful, and what's happening in my life is awful. So let's stop doing that, everyone. Could we stop, please? Like Breaking Bad, I love you as a show. I can't watch you right now. <laughs> um, yeah, you know. Stuff, stuff's complicated in the world. And no art can capture some of the complications. You know what's the closest piece of art to ever capture chronic illness 
and cancer, in my opinion. Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Fuck Just you. kidding. Fuck that movie. Uh, fuck that movie. I never saw it's... that because because of the fucking title. I was like, fuck that. Uh, I not to uh, not to steal your thunder, but I also I, I've lost uh, some people very close to me because of cancer uh, very recently, and mm. uh, around the time I was getting the news that it was I was probably gonna lose them. Uh, I remember hearing a lot of praise for that movie, and it just came at the exact wrong time, and I was just like blew up at a friend that recommended it to me, and I felt so bad. But at the same time, <laughs> I was like, "Fuck!" I, when I finally did watch it, I was infuriated. Then, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. so I can skip that. one. Yeah, no, don't. It's it's awful. What about that the John Green one? You know what? I didn't hate that one. I'm assuming it's good. I just there's no way I'm psychologically prepared to watch. It. Yeah, no, I, I I wouldn't recommend it to people for the same reasons I wouldn't recommend me and Earl and the Dying Girl. But I would say that's actually like a a good movie, if that makes you know sense. What the, you're, here's one I could watch. This isn't the movie I think because it doesn't really explore it. It's more like a subplot. But uh, Creed, I rewatched Creed and that was fine. So oh yeah, I saw Creed. I saw Creed, like, right after I lost my grandmother. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, like, that was interesting. Uh, so, yeah. And, uh, anyway, the best piece of art to ever explore chronic illness and cancer is Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, which is a fucking awful book. And it's miserable, and it's terrible, and it's not a pleasant read. And there's no, it, I do not recommend it to anyone, and it's exactly how I feel. <laughs> that went to a place I didn't expect. So there you go. I'm just throwing it out there for people, because, uh, you know, I'm trying, I was, because, you know, I'm rewatching the show for this show. And, uh, yeah, there were some episodes where I kind of just fast forwarded through some stuff. Well, I'm very glad you said that. To Brian Fuller, who is not listening to this, but uh, it was you know, it's a pet. It's it's become a big pet peeve of mine. And I'm trying not to get mad at people who use like cancer as like, oh, that thing's like a cancer. You know, like when you're trying to be hyperbolic about things. Yeah, I I used I used to do that a lot, and I apologize for that. I I, I still do it. <laughs> At times, just because I get worked up and I'm a horrible person. <laughs> so I don't, like, get angry at people. But it's also, like, you know, like, really? Like, <laughs> Chef Boyardee's tastes so bad, it feels like cancer. All right. <laughs> you don't know what that is, but one day you will. <laughs> this is a fun episode. This this took turns... <laughs> This is a fun episode. I hope everyone is having a good time. <laughs> this went to places. Um, Dan Fogler's on this show. Oh my god, he is. Yeah. For two episodes. He's, 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 yeah, he's like, was it only two? It felt longer. He He's in like the first episode, and then he comes back for another full episode later. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's like a full episode. I forget that like TV shows really are kind of like mini-movies. You know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's uh, he's on it as an overly clingy uh, patient of Dr. Hannibal Lecter's. 
And he might have my favorite scene in all of season one, which I think really sums up his character. Um, so Fogler is uh, best friends with a guy named Tobias who ends up being a serial killer. Everyone's connected to serial killers on this show. Oh, yeah, everyone. It makes, it makes a little sense for people in like the crimes division because, you know, it's their job. But uh, sometimes it's like, whoa. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, his best friend ends up being a serial killer, and Lecter makes it known that he knows this whole thing happens. Lecter's toying with everyone, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the killer comes to Hannibal's office while... Uh, what's his character's name? Franklin is there. Dan Fogler's character, Franklin, is there. And Franklin doesn't realize that Lecter's a killer. And... He's trying to talk to his buddy, being like, hey, you know, we can work through this. And Lecter makes a really genuine effort, old Boy Scout try, <laughs> to try and get Franklin to just leave and be like, hey, Franklin, leave. You're going to, like, I don't want you to get hurt. Like, he genuinely tries to get him to leave. And then when it becomes, it becomes clear Tobias is not going to let him leave without knowing that Lecter is also a killer. Lecter just kills Franklin without even hesitating. And it's, like, brutal. And, like, you know, not... It's not violent, but it's, like, kind of a gut punch type of murder. Um, but it's... I think it's a really good insight into how Lecter is characterized on this show. And it's one of my favorite moments. So, there's that. I thought you were going to talk about his first appearance. Because I think that's a good example of, like how this show builds tension with, like, the audience's pre-existing knowledge, but then lets it, like, play out for long stretches of time. Because that, that's a great that's a great scene. But I really love the first moment with Franklin where he's, like, crying, and he's, like, blowing his nose on Lecter's chair. And then he just leaves the dirty tissues, like, on the side. And then Lecter just <laughs> side-eyes the tissues. And it's just like, oh, shit, is he going to kill this guy? Is this, like, is this going to be, like, the first big one on the show? And then it's like, no, nothing mm. happens from it. It's just a yeah. daily in the life sort of scene with Hannibal Lecter and a really clingy patient. Yeah. It's uh really it's all great. This whole show's great, other than the thing I just spent like five minutes complaining about. You know what's another thing I really love about this show? What? It's it's a show where like you'll be like, Oh hey, it's Eddie Izzard. <laughs> oh my god. So many people are on like, this show. Like Molly Shannon pops up for an episode. And you're like, finally, Molly Shannon gets to play as Psycho. <laughs> We've all been waiting for this. Oh, she's really good, but that episode also never aired on television. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, poor Molly Shannon. Yeah, because she, she's really um, great in it, but I think there was there was one of the school shootings that had happened. And, oh. Yeah. And so they didn't want to see little kids. That'll stop them. Yeah. Pull that Hannibal episode. <laughs> Like, I get it. It's more because it's in bad taste, but, like, I'll ban an episode of television before I'm even talk about guns. Yeah. This is a great country. God bless America. <laughs> um, also, Eddie Izzard, I worked with Brian Fuller on another show. Uh, I, I think, I hope I'm not wrong. Cut this if I'm wrong. Because I'm about to go on a tangent. I'm going to keep it in. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm right. It's fucking challenging me. Uh, Eddie Izzard was on a show uh, that Brian Fuller produced called Mockingbird Lane. Have you heard of it? I actually have not. 
is because I think it was only one episode. Aww. It was like one or two episodes, and it was a trying to like reimagine the monsters, except do it serious. And it was fucking brilliant. And it would have been a fucking great show. And I, I think they just kind of dumped it because they weren't fully invested in it. And I, Eddie Izzard was Grandpa Monster. Aww. So, it's it was so good. And it, yeah, it was only one episode. Oh, directed by America's favorite dude, Brian Singer. Oh, no. Hey. Uh, so, maybe it's good it didn't move forward. But um, <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. And uh, it, I really liked it. And I totally didn't realize that Brian Fuller had anything to do with it until Hannibal came back around. I'll have to check it out. But I, I want to go off on, on some of the other directors that, that pop up in the show. Uh, so some directors in the show are or include David Slade from 30 Days a Night and Hard Candy and Twilight Eclipse. Uh, we didn't need to bring that up. <laughs> Guillermo Navarro, who is one of Guillermo del Toro's uh, directors of photography, who shot stuff like Pan's mm-hmm. Labyrinth, um, Crimson Peak... And so he's a talented dude. Uh, James Foley, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Glenn, Glenn, Glenn Gary. I don't know. I never saw the movie, but it's that one. What did he do? He directed that? Yeah. Holy shit. I didn't even. I just realized I don't know the director of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I've seen that movie like 20 fucking times. <laughs> uh, I... You've seen the fucking Boss Baby, <laughs> but you haven't seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross? <laughs> I've seen the Boss Baby twice, and I haven't seen Glenn. Oh, <laughs> god damn it! Well, I don't know if it's gonna be as good as the Boss Baby. That's why. If you if you ever want to feel filled with regret and hate, check out Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Oh, okay. I think everyone's like it because everyone like watches that fucking movie and goes like, "Hey, coffee's for closers. Always be closing." And then you like by the end of it, you're like, "Oh." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> the, this was an entire scathing indictment of our entire system of living. <laughs> so. Well, I, now I'm definitely excited to check it out. Yeah, it's got that, it's got weird David Mamet gender bullshit in it, but it's an all-male cast, so <laughs> who cares? Uh, and someone that... Doesn't come up until season two, but is a pretty consistent director of the show. Vincenzo Natali. Do you know who that is? I know the name, and you'll remind me what they did. Uh, I think the biggest hit they had in America was Splice. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, yeah, I remember Splice. Yeah, that's a really fucked up movie. They, that person did Cube, too, right? Yeah, Cube, Cypher, Nothing, yeah. Getting Gilliam... Utopia is the last thing he did. I, I don't know what that is, though. I haven't seen that. Um, oh, it's, it's but... part of the ABCs of Death 2. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't seen I, that. I did not watch ABCs of Death. It's one of those ones everyone's like, check it out. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> and I just don't. But yeah, a uh, talented crew of, of horror filmmakers. And also, the guy who directed the Cookies Are For Closers line. Coffee. Do you, do you want some? 
coffees for closers. Oh. <laughs> you <laughs> fuck. <laughs> God damn it, Diego. <clears throat> I don't actually watch movies. I just a uh, dude who tweets about them. How do people like How did anyone watch that Boss Baby movie? I saw it in 4K 3D. Yeah. And it was some of the best 3D projection I'd ever seen. Thank God they didn't use actual film stock on that thing. There's a good chance it'll be lost to time. <laughs> uh, the show really does a great job at like building this great cast of characters. Yes, it does. <laughs> you want to talk about some of the other actors? Yeah, Dr. Doctor Katz. Mm-hmm. Uh, the actress's name i can't remember the character's full name but the actress's name is uh, beverly Katz. beverly Katz, thank you yeah hetzian park is is great in this she's she's got uh not not a huge role in the show but she's one of the consistent investigators and in the crime uh analytical you know, people it's weird it's it's one of those weird things where it's not a huge role but like you really remember her like she's one of the standouts on a show with a lot of shit that's just stick with you yeah like, i think that's a brian her. fuller thing where his shows can have a lot going on, like, in the writing and obviously the aesthetic. But he doesn't waste people. Like, if a character's not going to fit into an episode, they just won't be there. And that's fine, you know? Because I'd rather focus on what's important than just have characters running around that don't contribute anything. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an uh, something that a lot of movies and television have forgotten. Because mm-hmm. there's... A lot of movies and TV shows that they'll just have a bunch of characters hanging around because they're in the cast. I could love the cast members, but why are you here if you are not contributing anything? So, yeah. Two characters who are not in any of the previous movies, but I love Mm -hmm. them dearly. Crime Scene Investigators Jimmy Price and Brian Zeller. Played respectively mm. by Scott Thompson and Aaron Abrams. They are the two little comedic relief characters who never cease to bring me endless amounts of joy. <laughs> yeah, they're great. They, uh, they're kind of like from another cop show. Oh, no. <laughs> they just happen to be on Hannibal. Yeah, they're, they, they're like the viewers just like giddily participating in everything. And then when shit gets real, it's like, oh, shit, that's right. But... <laughs> it's it's so good. They shouldn't work. They shouldn't work at all. It should be like, why are they even here? Yeah. You know? But uh, Brian Fuller's smarter than I am. So uh, Dr. Frederick Chilton returns, played by Raul Esparza. Yeah. That's a name I was totally ready p- to pronounce. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Uh, he is on Law & Order Special Victims Unit. Shannon brought that to my attention in her Hannibal video, I believe. Yeah. That's all. That's the only reason I know that. <laughs> well, I, I know that. I used to watch a lot of Law & Order with my grandmother. Because that was like the only show she watched. And it was on like 24-7 at her house for some reason. I'm sorry. Like, oh, hey, well, I, I just said, honestly, all right. Someone has to do this. Someone has to start a YouTube channel that is entirely dedicated from just showing the opening and closing scenes from Law and Order episodes. <laughs> because like the like 
Connecting point A and point B on that show is insane. <laughs> like, the opening almost has nothing to do with what ends up happening at the end. <laughs> like, you'll go from, like, a story about, like, oh, a hooker fell out a window to, like, someone's been making bombs in the New York subway. <laughs> and it's the same episode. You're like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> It's all, uh, it's all great. That show sucks, but he's good on it. <laughs> oh, okay. And the the last minor supporting character who becomes a major supporting character is mm. uh, Casey Roll as Abigail Hobbs. Yeah, and I guess it's we should probably talk about what the overarching plot of this season of the show. Yeah, because we haven't really done that. Yeah, we didn't do that. I had it in my notes specifically to like do that, and then I for some reason ignored it. <laughs> Um, but the whole series has started off, first of all, there's an intro to the show that's a home invasion, and a whole family is killed, and, uh, that's apparent. like, I didn't even think about it, that's apparently the Red Dragon Killer. Oh, what? I think it's supposed to be the Red Dragon Killer did the first murder. I thought it was, uh... It's not Garrett Jacob Hobbs. It wasn't? No, because he killed, that's not his M.O., Oh, fuck. Memory That's how fucking kills, crazy. Like, in a very specific way. Yeah. Oh my god. My like, brain. Because when what? Because Will Graham goes over the crime scene, and then we realize he's not, you know, because he's not a detective at that point. He's not working for the FBI. He is just talking to his class. Oh my it's god. An unsolved, it's an unsolved murder. Um. So I'm. I think it's supposed to be the Red Dragon Killer. I could be wrong. I. I'm still if, in the middle of season three. I don't remember totally what happens. Uh, if that's if if that's true, that is an incredible long game. Yeah. Because this show is always in the bubble of being canceled too. So there was like, yes. there was there was a possibility that that would never. I mean, it's never addressed again until the Red Dragon stuff. So mm-hmm. and there's no inherent connection between the two. Oh my god, that's crazy! I never even considered well, that possibility. Well, literally, it would have just. It literally would have just been, you know, unsolved crime. And, you know, you wouldn't think about it. And then later it becomes a thing. So, yeah, it's a great... I mean, that's what happens when you have a whole book series to work with. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's and awesome. I, I don't even care if that's not, like, officially canon or whatever. That's a really cool idea. Yeah, hey. So, anyway, that's the opening to the show. Yeah. And it's um, very bloody. And Will gets uh, roped in to investigate the uh, Minnesota Strike Killers. Strike, strike, whatever the fuck. Strike. It's like a bird. The bird does that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Which is super fucked up. That is... Oh my god, that's out in nature. Mm Mm-hmm. You ever see those videos of pelicans eating ducks? No, and I don't want to. (laughs) They're not not pleasant. (laughs) Yeah, I Um, don't think so. Anyway, nature is not good. I don't care. I don't give a fuck what people say. So that's where I get I get very Herzog about nature. <laughs> it's over, overwhelming and collective murder. <laughs> Everyone thinks nature's like those Hayao Miyazaki movies, but it's really like Godzilla twenty fourteen. Yeah, it's like it's like annihilation <laughs> with less dubstep. Or whatever. Yeah. Is Annihilation just the movie Evolution without the comedy? 
I don't want to spoil it for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um... It's also, like, probably my favorite movie of the year, so make of that yeah, what you yeah. will. Annihilation is great. Yeah. It's also exactly the same <laughs> as Evolution. Uh, so Garrett Jacob Hobbs ends up being the Minnesota Shrike. Uh, which is something that's that's actually it, that's mentioned in the books. I believe it's uh, he, the fact that he has a daughter is even mentioned in the books. I don't believe she's given a name in the books, but uh, in the books I keep saying that. Where where, um, where where are they from again? In in the books. Oh, okay. I just want to make sure. Do you people read <laughs> like me, an intellectual? <laughs> Can't even read his own fucking notes or pronounce Shrike correctly. Uh, <laughs> but this is where Brian Fuller picks up some of the emotional threads that have been carrying through the better parts of these adaptations and stories too, where the violence lingers and has like it causes trauma and the aftermath is about exploring that, you know, because even though they're like individual episodic serial killers and murders happening, the entire season arc is ultimately about Will coming to this like the scary conclusion that. Hannibal's also guiding him towards that maybe he did like killing him. Maybe he he kill, killed people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, and that it's something he wants to do deep down. And it's really, I mean, because the thing is, Garrett Jacob Hobbs dies because they reach out to Lecter, and Lecter calls Hobbs. Just to kind of see what'll happen, which is kind of Lecter's motivation a lot of the time. And he ends up playing this really long game with Abigail Hobbs and Lecter, I mean, and Will Graham, almost trying to make them a family unit, in a way. Because they both look at her as kind of like a surrogate daughter figure. And the real question of the series is, was she an accomplice to her father's murders? And it's really interesting. And she ends up, yeah, being a partial accomplice. Um, although Lecter messes with everyone's heads enough that no one knows exactly how much anyone really did. And that carries over through multiple, through all the seasons, not just like the material we're given. And it's kind of a testament to the show furthermore that like, they basically retcon some stuff. But yes. not really, like you totally buy into they it. They retcon a... They retcon a guy getting shot in the face. Yeah. And dying. And then they're just like, nope. And it's just like, okay. Like, you just roll with it. Yeah. And you don't stop to, to think about it more than the situation needs you to. Yeah. Uh, Brian Fuller has this great interview with the What the Flick YouTube channel from the season two premiere. No spoilers for that season yet, but where he talks about the methodology behind the violence in the show and the murders that happen. So, like, there's a murder that happens at some point in the show that's very traumatic. And he explains, like, how someone moved the body in these positions. He's like, oh, well, there's, like, here's what really happened. The villain orders these cases. They have them delivered to their door. Obviously, the the movers don't come in. The murderer hangs the body pieces in, like, this origami-like fashion or whatever have you, right? Body. Yeah, and then... Body pieces. Bodies. And then... Body pieces. <laughs> body parts. Body parts. Thank you, pieces. I guess. 
actually there's a there's a slasher movie called pieces is it good i think the slogan for it is it's exactly what you expected (laughs) (laughs) that's wonderful so there you go if you want to watch some trash go check it out i love trash all right um and then the the killer orchestrates them in whatever fashion they like and then that's how they do it the thing is we just don't see it because like why would you want to spend half of an hour long television show just like watching someone put a body together in odd fashion like that's not enthralling yeah it's just weird it really isn't (laughs) it's just weird it's just it's just weird and exploitative at some point you can get all you need out of it Brian Fuller is actually really a genius at figuring out how to distill, like, a big idea into, like, a single moment so you don't need, like, a huge long thing. That's my problem with other shows where they'll get really tedious with certain ideas. Where it's like, yeah, we get it. (laughs) But they have to drag it out because they have to fill an hour of television. (laughs) And Fuller does a pretty good job of, like, being like, nah, here it is. (laughs) And he knows what to do and he's very precise in that way. He's got a lot of empathy for his characters, which I think mm-hmm. is also why it's almost. so easy to to almost root for Hannibal Lecter. Like you don't want him to get caught yet because he's so much fun to mm-hmm. watch him toy with other people, but you're also like worried about everyone else around him because you never know when they're gonna make his cooking list. Hmm. Well, that's the other fun thing is watching him feed people to other people. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's I, That's I think that has to be because we got to start winding down. One of the last things we have to talk about on this show, the cooking. Well, I mean, the last thing we should, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, here, we're... let's talk about we the cooking. Talk about how Will Graham goes crazy, but we'll talk about the cooking. First. Yeah, um, it looks amazing, and God help me, sometimes it looks delicious, but half the time it's people. Other times, it's like birds that he drowns in wine and then feeds to people. But they're aware it's birds, and he's like, oh, no, it's it's frowned upon, but I think it makes for a delicious meal. And then they're okay with that. The food in the show looks so good. But I have a problem. Because I have been saddled with a curse in life. Okay. That, uh... Years ago in high school, we did, like, everyone did this test where you had to put, like, a strip on your tongue. And it was apparently supposed to taste very sour. Like, if you leave it on your tongue for a long time. And everyone puts it on their tongue, and, like, within, like, seconds, everyone's like, ah, and, like, you know, like, going and spitting it out and stuff, and everyone's kind of laughing. I just sat there. With the strip on my tongue, and I didn't taste anything. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not tasting anything. And I'm like, did I get a defective one? So like, they tried another one, and I didn't taste a fucking thing. And uh, turns out I have weird taste buds. Oh. <laughs> Where I don't taste like I don't like get a full range of taste in food for some reason. And a lot of stuff will just so like I'm watching all this beautiful food, and I realize if I ever tried to eat it, like I would get nothing out of it. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. So, this is also a message to all my friends out there. are always like, let's go to this great restaurant. And I'm like, you're wasting your time. <laughs> like, if you want to, if you will enjoy it, good. I'm just, it's going to taste like paper to me. <laughs> I don't taste, I barely taste food. <laughs> so, 
There you go. All right. So, so I would have been fine with a lot of Hannibal's cooking, <laughs> even knowing what it was. <laughs> Crawford totally, because Crawford totally caves later in the series, but we'll get to that. Um, and then last little note on that, uh, the food-based designer from Toronto, her name is Janice Poon. Fantastic work with the food. Mm-hmm. It's, it, extraordinary. Yeah. That was it. I just wanted to praise her because every episode looked delicious and gross. Good job, Janice. You made food look good to a guy who has no taste buds. (laughs) Goddamn, my life fucking sucks. (laughs) Well, you know, everyone has their own struggles. And God never gives you more than you can handle. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it. I got a lot of shit to ask him. <laughs> I got a lot of fucking questions. All right, uh, winding down. You wanted to talk about Will Graham? Well, I mean, the ending of the season, which is uh, a role reversal, basically, where Will Graham ends up getting thrown into Chilton's loony bin. Instead of Lecter. And, uh... It's, that's just... I mean, it's such an obvious direction to take the show, yet it's also brilliant. It's one of those things that only really seems obvious in retrospect, I guess. Because uh, that was the thing. I, I started this when season two was going on. And when I watched the first season and I realized that that's where it was going, I was like, oh yeah, this is a good show. It's a good example of uh, the obvious choice not being the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. And also, it's a good example. I mean, we've we've had, in other movies, we've had people be like, you don't want Hannibal Lecter in your mind. And we never really see what that's like. And this is now we finally do get to see what that's like. Hannibal Lecter manipulates so many people around him. It's it's crazy. And, I mean, it's unrealistic, but who fucking who cares about realism in this show? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you lose sight of realism by the third slow motion sequence set to like a ringing gong you know yes well it's well it's kind of like how you know when on the show sherlock sherlock would go into his little mind place and it was so like over the top and ridiculous and you're like oh this is fun it's ludicrous it kind of gets that the entire character of sherlock holmes is ludicrous and then you realize about a couple more episodes later, you're like, oh. Oh, no, they think they're actually really clever. <laughs> they don't realize they've written, like, ridiculous twist after ridiculous twist. And they don't actually know where they're going with any of this. While they're also dunking on the original s- books. <laughs> Which is like, you realize that you're about as smart as that. <laughs> Do you know Arthur... Uh, I almost call him Arthur C. Clarke. <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle believed in a secret society of magicians. Did he now? Yeah, and he thought... Houdini was his buddy, and he thought Houdini was like a member of it. And he'd be like, look, I know you can't tell me. <laughs> but I know you're part of a secret society of magicians. And Houdini would be like, I'm not. And he's like, I get it, I get it. You can't tell me. <laughs> And Houdini, like, tried to spend, like, his whole life being like, no, you don't understand. These, what I do are tricks. Like. <laughs> I'm glad that Brian Fuller and company 
were wise enough to recognize that the show was so consistently on the bubble that they basically made every season finale work as a series finale. Yeah. A lot of shows, I think, I don't want to say overconfident because that sounds a little harsh, but I'm going to say overconfident that they're going to, you know, get brought back for a, uh, another season or two or three, whatever. And some, most sometimes, shows do that. Sometimes it's just nice to have closure, you know? And then that way, every season, yeah. you, you kind of push yourself to do something different. And Although now I'm in a world where I want to see shows like end on massive cliffhangers because maybe 25 years later everyone will get back together and make a great conclusion that's that's rare i think we were blessed with how good twin peaks and the return was like that yeah, probably feel like never happen again at least to in that another extent. 10 years in another 10 years we're going to get a follow-up to firefly especially when whedon is looking for more work you think so? Yeah, do you think he's worn out all his goodwill at this point? I don't know. I, I It's hard to say. Just give it to Brian Fuller. <laughs> Just give it to him. Give every give him Star give Brian Fuller Star Wars. Oh, fuck yeah. He, he knows what to do. Oh, fuck yeah. But you know, now that you mention it, Brian Fuller and Joss Whedon together, I feel like Fuller could rein in his more uh non-likable tendencies. I don't mean, like, the stuff that came out about him. I just mean his writing. I just realized I genuinely just don't like his writing. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, I had a weird experience with Age of Ultron where I realized, like, I, I, I went into it knowing what decisions were, like, corporate decisions and what decisions were, like, Whedon's. And I was like, I like the corporate decisions more. <laughs> Well, I just I, I like them, most of them in that one. So we'll just have. To... I didn't. I couldn't. I couldn't finish the movie. It was too fucking boring. We'll just have to agree to disagree. We... Yeah, just have to fucking be wrong, you bastard. Which is usually what happens on this show: the agreeing to disagree, yeah. not the being wrong. You're wrong. This whole fucking country's wrong. This fucking the slow decline of the American Empire. Reaganomics. So you like Hannibal? Yeah. Do you want to let people know where they can find you? Everyone can fuck off. Not even a if you don't know by now. Fucking what the fuck? Not even a P.O. box? I don't have a P.O. box. I don't either, but I just... I, I figured you didn't want to give away your home address. No one is sending me shit. Except for Ethan, apparently, who sent me this microphone. Thanks, Ethan. Which I've now squandered by derailing two episodes. <laughs> I, I can still work with it. Yeah. I've, I've gone up against worse. I give you way too much work. I don't know why you keep having me on. Because we gotta finish it. <laughs> That's, thanks for that ringing endorsement, buddy. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're contractually obligated to finish this in the Predator <laughs> retrospect, and then we'll never speak. I'll, I'll just block you on Twitter. Yeah, hey. No, no, it's, it's we, we have fun here, and 
<laughs> we have fun. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. You know where you can find us. Matt's right about that and nothing else. Uh, like and subscribe. If you didn't like it, like and subscribe anyways. You might find something you do like. Check out the Patreon. You'll find all of Matt's ramblings on there in the near future. Help feed me. You won't me. understand any of them. Because I don't. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. What am I about to put in my mouth? Rabbit. You should have hopped faster. Fortunately for us, he did not. Mm. You know, I used to be a libertarian. Oh, yeah? That's for another episode of the Waffle Press. Right, so the first season of Hannibal. We're not ending it like that. <laughs> the first season of Hannibal. <laughs> <laughs>